0: Central.
1: This is Tech Radio. All things computers, gadgets and web happening right now in Ireland. Hear us anytime on iTunes or download from techcentral.ie. Tech Central.
0: How you doing? This is Dusty Rhodes and welcome to Tech Radio with all the latest in tech from around Ireland and around this little planet we call Earth. Remember... Tons of ways of getting a show every single week. Downloading directly from our website at TechCentral.ie. Of course, there's a smartphone podcast app. Dozens of them. Take your pick. Uh, iTunes, so uh, you can grab us there, or you can turn us on every Friday on DAB Digital Radio with RTE Radio One Extra. This is our show for Friday, the 24th of June, and two very, very interesting interviews for you this week. Uh, in a few minutes' time, about 10 minutes' time, we're going to follow up uh, an interview we did with Your Md couple of weeks back, which was an app you can get to your phone, which is like having a virtual doctor on your phone that you can speak to. You can go, I don't feel well. And then the app will say, well, tell me what's wrong. I have a pain in my back and so on and so forth. And it gives you a diagnosis. This interview is with uh, an Irish report that has come out recently, which takes the idea of an app on your phone and takes it so much further and in ways that will amaze you. We'll have more with Jane Walsh on that in around about 10 minutes' time. But first, Niall has been out this week with Enterprise Ireland. Normally, they help small businesses get funding. But how do small businesses get their hands on knowledge, and especially these big reports that have been funded by, you know, state agencies and stuff like that. How do you get that knowledge into your operation? Niall met with Alison Campbell, who works with Enterprise Ireland's Knowledge Transfer Ireland section. And she told us more about what that actually is.
1: What we do is uh, we, we occupy a slightly different space. So many of the agencies are very directed towards um, funding. They have a specific purpose uh, to do that. Our role is very much around making it simple for enterprise to, to find, to access and to work with state funded research. So our role is to um, sign posts through our website, to provide tools that make it easy um, and also to provide the national framework and help with with policy development and we also fund into what's called the technology transfer system uh, which is actually the people who are working on the ground within the colleges who can interface with enterprise
2: now, when you're talking about systems, um, often you have people doing basic research in universities and that's very much their focus. They're, they may be not necessarily aware of the commercial impact of what they're working on, um, but you have companies that might be looking for researches in, in specific areas. So what kind of model do you use? Are you, are you looking at sort of the big house on the hill where uh, information is siloed or are we looking at a more decentralized model?
1: Well, I think in terms of companies who'd like to find um, interesting research um, or the research and researchers with the right kind of expertise to help them, um, they can come via Knowledge Transfer Ireland because we've got a fantastic website that actually allows companies to both find expertise, intellectual property and the research centres and the colleges and more importantly, the right people to talk to. But, you know, it may well be that the the company um, knows the researchers that it wants to talk to. They may be based locally. Um, They may have already established that relationship.
2: Uh, And I guess, you know, if somebody is working on an idea, not everybody wants to, you know, hand it over to a company – they might decide that something is patentable or they want to hold on to the intellectual property themselves. Well, what sort of role does um, KTI play in helping people, say, manage, the, manage their IP or maybe the process of working with a company to develop it?
1: Okay, well, I think the first thing to say is there's lots of different ways um, of creating innovation for and with companies. Um, And the the process that we call knowledge transfer really sits around a variety of mechanisms. That's anything from creating new spin-out companies, uh, doing research collaboration um, on areas of fundamental interest, carrying out very directed problem solving for companies or providing knowledge and expertise through consultancy. So it really depends what the nature of the opportunity is and it also depends if there is a company and what it actually is wants to do. So going back to your question, if we have a researcher who has, say, come up with a bright idea, then often that will be protected uh, through some kind of intellectual property protection. Often that might be through patenting. And they will work with their local technology transfer office to um, file for, for protection, to manage that, and to seek out potential company licensees. But of course, that isn't the only way. They may either have an existing relationship with a company um, or they may want to develop their idea in partnership with a company because actually um, businesses have lots of great ideas themselves and lots of tools and resources that they can bring to a collaboration that can really move that research and innovation forward. But in all cases... Um, Having intermediaries on the ground, uh, the technology transfer professional that sits within a university or institute of technology really is incredibly helpful because they have um, some skills and some expertise that can support both the researchers and the companies.
2: Do you think there might be a little bit of a fear factor on the part of researchers that, you know, they're nervous in working with industry in some cases that um, or maybe they feel that they can stretch themselves to develop a a spin out or a startup? You know, is there a, a sort of a mental block there?
1: less actually Um, and I've been um, really impressed I mean I think the Irish system's fantastic it's really very entrepreneurial within all of our colleges there are great programs in terms of enterprise training Um, through the enterprise island uh, funding the technology transfer strengthening initiative into the technology transfer offices there are people on the ground who can work with researchers and one of the first things we saw in that that first part of the program was a real culture change where research was saying I understand better what to do now. There are people here to help me. So I think there is less of a fear factor. I think it's about management. I think it's about partnership and it's about conversations. Of course, not everybody is an entrepreneur and they needn't feel that they're going to be an entrepreneur and not every idea or opportunity is going to be suitable to create a new company out of. Um, and that's, again, about conversations and understanding where the market might lie, how the technology might need to be matured. And there's great uh, programs out there. So, for example, if um, a researcher has a really good idea, they can come to Enterprise Island for some feasibility funding to test that out um, and they can move further through proof of concept funding. If it's a really early stage idea, they can go to Science Foundation Island if they're funded through SFI and they can get a TEEDRA award. So there's lots of supports that are available to really help boost and develop new ideas. And I guess
2: it's, uh, it's such an important conversation. Station to maintain it, researchers all the time because uh, sort of the demands that are placed on, uh, I guess, researchers and industry at the same time to, to make sure that there isn't an overlap between very expensive uh, re- research going on in enterprise and perhaps a, a more cost-effective brand of research going on in the universities.
1: Oh, you're absolutely right. And, you know, we often see that um, a company would choose to work uh, with a university or an institute because the company itself either doesn't have the skills or the expertise in-house. And as you say, it really is a very cost-effective way to undertake a piece of research to solve a problem or actually to explore a new area that they're not ready to dip their toes into yet. It's a great way of exploring that with the academic side. And if that looks problematic, It can give the company the confidence to then develop that theme of research in-house. And, of course, the other thing that's great for companies in working with um, the higher education system is that there's a great source of talent, people and skills that are available to them, both on short term and actually long term as they're looking to grow their businesses. I guess then
2: it, it might be fair to say that, that that fear barrier almost works in in both directions, where enterprises might be put off um, looking at specific areas because they see research in sort of niche areas as being maybe too expensive to pursue themselves.
1: Oh, you're absolutely right, and part of our job in Knowledge Transfer Ireland is really to help mitigate that fear factor. I think particularly for a, a small company who may not be intru- um, familiar with working with with a college, it can actually be quite daunting to think about how do we go about doing this? What can we expect from the engagement? What can we expect from the relationship? What kind of conversations can we have? And actually, all of these relationships need to be underpinned by some kind of a, a contractual arrangement. And that, that, that in itself can be quite quite scary so what we've done is we've produced a whole series of what we call practical guides and model agreements and they're there off the shelf a company can go take a look at those it can understand the thinking behind the kind of agreement that might need to go into place that would underpin a research collaboration that might underpin a piece of consultancy they can do some thinking behind the the scenes before they meet and they have the conversation Um, and they can also get to where they need to more swiftly and you know what? Save a bit of money because there's agreements that they can just pull down and use. They'll probably all always need to take a little bit of legal advice, but it'll be much more informed, and they can just get on and do what they need to do, which is move quickly and to innovate with some very clever people.
2: Uh, that that is something that comes up um, sort of, uh, very often uh, in case of protection, protecting uh, um, intellectual property. That um, to know that there is that off the shelf. Sort of generalised agreement or generalised framework that people can can work with. Just in terms of the kind of projects that KTI is looking at. I mean, recently there was the uh, the Impact Awards, and there there is always the suspicion that certain areas are in vogue and, and certain uh, areas aren't. But there's been quite a a, a wide range of um, projects being recognised from you know um, biotech and sort of the the medtech sectors all the way up, all the way up to virtual reality, and so. What exactly makes uh, a successful project? I guess is is a, a broad and perhaps unfair question.
1: <laughs> oh, but that that that's such a good one. And I think just just what you said actually, they are so diverse. So, what really does make a good project? Well, I think the first thing to say is the KTI Impact Awards were, were created to actually celebrate and showcase the kinds of innovation that are coming out of publicly funded research and the different mechanisms um, by which innovation can happen. So that's anything from exciting startup up companies all the way through to in-depth research collaborations and consultancy. And what we're seeing in our impact awards is that complete breadth and variety. I mean, if we take the, the spin-out company side of things, we've got anything from companies in, in diverse areas who have um, started out from the research base, they've gained their first round of funding, they've started to employ people, all the way through to, to companies that have been acquired for £60 million plus, um, and those that have gone on to um, very successful multiple funding rounds. We've got one in there that's seen £30 million in the last year. And when we start to look at some of our collaborative um, research examples, they, they span all sorts of fields and sectors i think the thing that that underpins them all in terms of success is that there's there's a, i think a demonstration of a great trust and partnership with the commercial side and the academic side the actual ideas and concepts are very sound They've often been embodied well through some form of IP protection. And there's some really good um, underpinning work that's gone on, not just in the research, but through the technology transfer offices to make sure that the businesses that they're working with or the businesses that they are being created um, have the right kind of underpinning agreements that actually allow and ensure that the companies can grow and flourish and get more investment.
0: And that was Niall Kitson talking to Alison Campbell from Knowledge Transfer Ireland at Enterprise Ireland.
1: This is Tech Central, your weekly tech podcast from Ireland's techcentral.ie.
0: You may have noticed phone manufacturers are big on health and fitness apps. We've got Apple's Health, Samsung's S Health, Fitbit. Uh, There's a slew of other apps like MyFitnessPal or Your.MD, who we had on the show at the end of May. But is this all just marketing to make us feel good? Or is there actually something really useful to it? We've come across a very, very interesting and I would say surprising report from NUI Galway which says yes and in some quite amazing ways as well. To tell us more about it I'm joined on Skype by one of the uh, authors of that report Dr Jane Walsh from the Whitaker Institute at NUI in Galway. Jane the report looked at how mobile you know phone apps are are out there in the world and how they can help people manage their lifestyle in a serious way. Um, do, Do you see these apps taking on a more serious role in healthcare?
3: Hello, Dusty, and thanks for having me on the show. Um, Yes, there's very interesting that technology has... Stolen a march and is very advanced. It's advancing at a faster rate than healthcare. And so a lot of us in research and doctors are playing catch up. We're trying to establish what's out there. We're trying to look at its effectiveness. And so a series of studies have been done recently. And the one you're referring to was a very targeted study looking at patients with high blood pressure or hypertension and looking to see whether indeed existing apps or perhaps new developed apps could be useful in helping them to self-manage their disease. So in our particular study, we wanted to see, well, if we asked the patients directly, what is it that they would find useful and whether or not they would actually engage with an app. So this is not really looking at existing apps. It was just very much a field research, putting a toe in the water, trying to see, well, if we were to develop would patients engage and what would they like? And very interesting because really from the horse's mouth, patients will tell you quite honestly whether or not they'd use them and what they'd find useful. And one of the things that the patient said was critical in their engaging with an app is trust, that the app comes from a trusted source. So very interesting when you say that you're a user yourself and that you use apps, but you collect them from a Google App Store or um You're not sure about whether or not they're any good, but you say, I'll give them a bit of a go. You're not really sure if they're having any effect in your behavior. But this idea of trust when it's a medical condition becomes very important. So if you can't get patients to engage in the first place with an app, you're probably not going to be effective in changing their behavior. The second thing that patients said was really important, and I think most of us would agree with this, is the idea that the app is somehow personalized or individualized, us. So you might love something where you can track your diet, but I'm thinking, I really don't know, or I'm interested in that. Or you might like something that will give you a little beep reminder, dusty, take your pills now, but I mightn't like my phone beeping at me. So even small things like that can be personalized or individualized to you. And I think that as starting points, if you've got those features in an app, that it's trusted And it can be personalised. You're on a very good platform for moving forward, for changing health behaviour.
0: So when you went out to people and you asked them, you know, kind of uh, about using apps as part of a a medical uh, whatever in, in their life, did you tell them the kind of app that they could have or did you leave a complete blank canvas there and just say, well, what kind of an app would you like?
3: Well, it's a very good question, Dusty, because actually it was an early study leading to the development of an app ourselves. So we had a purpose in mind. We wanted something that patients would be involved in developing from the beginning. And you refer to the idea of a patient centered or person centered approach. And very interestingly, on our team, we have not just doctors, uh, we have not just tech people. Uh, we have behavioral scientists. That's my role, or psychologist. Mm-hmm. And of course, the patients themselves. So it's very multidisciplinary. So we start from scratch. We know what's out there, but we said, let's see uh, what people would use. So we did a mock-up or a dashboard as a sampler. We said, do these features appeal to you? It was as a discussion starter, really. Hmm. Um, so it was really open-house they said, no, no, we're not interested in that. Uh, yes, we like this. And one of the interesting things that came across when you think about high blood pressure, which is one of the key risk factors for our main killers, heart disease and stroke. And of course, diabetes, it's linked to also. Um, so it's a huge problem in Ireland. A lot of people have this high blood pressure or hypertension, but. When you think about what causes high blood pressure, for some people, it's too much booze. For other people, it's the fry in the morning. For other people, it's they're not exercising. For others, it's too much salt. For others, they're not taking their medication. So again, when you think about the idea of personalizing, if you're getting a message dusty, get out and do some exercise. And yet you're a marathon runner. Uh, but your problem is you eat too much Black Forest Gatto and you don't take your medicine. You need a tailor-made reminder for your particular self-management issue. And that's something in this, what seems like one medical condition, but actually is quite individual. And that was one very strong feature that came across. So we're in the process of developing that app now. We've got a prototype ready for action with the team. And This information from this study was really key in helping us develop that.
0: What kind of people did you speak to on, this, on, on the study? Were they all ages?
3: Yes, it was a very mixed group. It was the target group, people with hypertension. So we had separate groups for males and females. We had six uh, focus groups. So it was a very open discussion with mixed groups. We collected all the data. It was a qualitative study. We analysed and drilled down into, you know, the nuts and bolts of what people were saying, but very much a mixed typical cross-section of people with hypertension attending general practice. So a very good um, group, really, to base our research on. Now, when
0: you, normally when you go into these surveys, yeah. you kind of have little conceptions of your own and you kind of think, oh yeah, that's a great idea, they're going to love that. And then you do the research and nobody likes it and you come and go, uh, uh, what? Absolutely. <laughs> what, 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 what was that one thing that happened in this research to you that surprised you, that people just weren't interested in?
3: Um... I think uh, the idea that um, that it was a, an app that they downloaded from a store that they didn't trust, um, that they maybe issues around data security. And one of the things that would put people off is it going nowhere, if you like. In other words, it's just them and the app. It's almost a bit lonely because another feature that came out from our study is the idea that the app and you alluded to this earlier, could be used as a vehicle for enhancing doctor-patient communication. And patients love the idea of that, that they collect some data, that they've got some extra info that would be helpful to them when they next meet their doctor in discussing their case in their own sort of detail specific to them.
0: So kind of looking to to the future then, where do you see this doctor-app-patient relationship uh, being in, say, five years' time?
3: Well, there's a whole load of surrounding issues that are worth mentioning. For example, um, there are no list of regulated, um, recommended apps. For doctors to use in Ireland. Now there are abroad, uh, for example, in the States and the UK, they've got now a list of regulated apps. It's something that's developing. So Ireland could look to that for advice. So doctors will be slow to uh, recommend apps without that backup from the HSE and so on. The second issue that's going to potentially cause problems in apps fulfilling their uh, potential is the idea of data security and privacy. And that's a whole other topic we could spend on uh, talking about. But if you take the research um, as it stands and how patients and doctors perceive them and how they impact on health behaviour change when they're correctly designed, the future is very bright indeed. Apps, if they're ideally to be used without issues of regulation and data security, if they get ironed out, the ideal, Dusty, is that a patient goes into a doctor and said, here's my condition. The doctor says, okay, I'm going to prescribe this app to you with a tailor-made program for you. It's going to target your difficulties around increasing um, your um, physical activity and also perhaps medication adherence. It's going to allow you to self-monitor We can follow up and see how you're getting on week to week. It's also going to give you reminders and feedback if you're not hitting your target number of steps walked or if you've forgotten to take your pills. And all of this becomes embedded into the consultation and part of the practice. So you have data being fed usefully up to the doctor's computer and they can see, oh, Johnny is doing well with the walking and he took his pills all the month of May. So he's doing well and he sent me his blood pressure readings via his app and he's looking good. And that when Johnny comes back in, now we have collected data via app plus uh, a face-to-face consultation. And this will uh, improve the relationship of doctor-patient, it'll reduce health care costs and it'll result in a more effective management of various health conditions.
0: Now, here's a tricky question because you've gone to all the trouble of doing this research and what you found out is absolutely Amazing. The people are open to having an app uh, that they would trust that will be set up by their doctor that would feed them back information on a daily basis and feed information back to the doctor. So the next time they go back and they get better, much, 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 much better and and healthier, much quicker. Um, But you're working with uh, uh, NUI and Galway with the Whitaker Institute and you have mentioned that you're developing an app yourself. So are you kind of... Are you open to sharing this information with other app developers or are you keeping it all to yourself and releasing your own app into the world shortly?
3: Well, that's an excellent question. <laughs> <laughs> well, uh, so we're working with a team at the moment, and we're very much researchers, um, but we have applied people on our team. So we actually work with several app companies. Now, not for this particular app, but in parallel, we're doing other research where we're working with a company called Patient Empower, set up by Eamon Costello. We also do some work with TickerFit, set up by Avril Copeland. These are app developers, a company. We, in fact, would Strongly uh, recommend that researchers work with tech companies to develop something that, if it's effective and it's based on evidence, which is what we supply, that it gets to market faster. So we're not really this ivory tower of secretive cloak and dagger app development that we're, and we're not trying to make millions of euro with our secret perfect app. In fact, we're working with the best people placed to develop something very effective, evidence based that can then be used. Um, and widely disseminated to a wider group. Now this particular app that we're referring to today in this piece of research we have um, tech people working on it who are based in academia as it happens but interestingly enough if this works one of the members of our team and author of the paper Liam Glynn will be rolling this out in his general practice and no doubt he will recommend it to his uh, colleagues and other general practitioners and they will possibly roll it out and try it also. Okay, we're very much about moving forward, Um, we're very much about applications that are useful and pragmatic, but of course we're scientists so we want something that's evidence based, based on good theory, that's trialled with randomised controlled trials, we publish the research just like you would in the development of a pill to show it works before it's it's sent out into the wider. Um, Listen, market. do you know what,
0: you don't? You don't have to do any trials. From the way you've described it, you just know common sense will tell you this is going to work, and it, and it would make huge leaps in in people's health. But uh, you know, do the trials and then come back to me okay. in a year and go, Dusty, you were right. Lots of, peop- <laughs> lots of people do it. Listen, uh, from the, our, our audience, are, we, we have a very intelligent audience uh, who are very connected to the uh, web. A lot of app designers uh, listen to the programme as well. Um, I'm guessing that if somebody is uh, into app design and is interested in finding out more, maybe give you a shout, nothing to lose. You may not get anything out of it, but nothing to lose. Would I be right?
3: You're absolutely right. Excellent. And actually, Dusty, we're always open to new collaborations. We're applying for funding. Uh, we want to work with industry also. Uh, we have a particular skill set that's very useful to app developers because it looks at the stakeholder involvement and it also looks at very high quality trialling and testing of new developments and also during the development phase and after they're developed. So Dusty, always open to people contacting us. We have a research group that I'm the director of, the M Health Research Group. We can, you can Google us and look at what and get in touch any time.
0: Excellent. Dr. Jane Walsh from the Whitaker Institute at NUI Galway. Thank you very much. And if you'd like to know more about the uh, report, you can see the Institute website at whitakerinstitute.ie. That's it for our show this week. Remember, you can get all the latest on Irish tech news with hourly updates, daily newsletters, and more directly from techcentral.ie, as well as our weekly tech radio show here online and every Friday at 6 pm on DAB Digital Radio with RTE Radio 1 Extra. Next week, it's a summer holiday special. Until then, for myself, Dusty Rhodes and Niall Kitson, thanks for listening. Take care. Uh
1: Get Tech Radio. Subscribe for free with iTunes or download on demand at techcentral.ie. Tech Radio is produced by digitalaudioproductions.com. Tech
2: Central.